Henry Rollins has retired from singing, but that hasn't stopped him from talking. Henry brings his Good to See You tour to New Zealand in July. Here he is now talking to the 13th floor about talking. This is the first tour that I've done in decades that didn't have a large travel component. Uh, usually, if anyone has ever uh, suffered through my shows before, I have. Uh, they know there's like the big <laughs> middle section. There's like, you know, the, I, I roll like a fi five trailers and then here comes the feature. Gotcha. And the big the big meaty center is, is you know, my trip to Antarctica or North Korea, etc. Right. And with COVID, I couldn't literally I couldn't leave. And so yes. uh, I had to come up with material that was not exactly locally based but was travel deprived gotcha and so uh this and so i i've been living in nashville for a couple of years and it's been very nice but completely uneventful <laughs> and so as far as like you know no one's tried to like you know firebomb my house you know g give them time well there have been a few shootings over there so we, uh, we follow few, all that stuff a, a few this morning yeah <laughs> uh, so um enough catastrophic in interesting stuff happened while I was in Los Angeles during lockdown uh, enough to make uh, for a good night of, of talking. And so this tour started in March of last year, and it's about 160 some shows in. Okay. And so I'm pr a pretty well-oiled machine at this point. I'm sure you are. <laughs> and, and so the material, and I just got back from Europe, so I'm very much kind of in the non-USA material groove and the set is slightly different outside of america there's a lot of um in the united states uh there's a lot more usa references okay like to politicians up. and to uh, to things and i wouldn't want to wear out a non-american audience with things that are not their problem right or at least not their problem yet well well yeah. i was gonna say it, it does become yeah. our problem eventually yeah. it seems like yeah Hegemony is a is a a thing we're really good at. So just give us time, and we'll 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 slime you one way or the other. Uh, America, don't let it get on you. Anyway, um, so I have a a good set of material that is good for a non-USA audience, and I've been you know doing it for the last you know two and a half months, and so I'm back off the road for a minute, and I'm leaving in several days to do Australia, New Zealand. Right. And then there'll be another brief break. And then it's the United States until November 20. And then finally, the tour uh, will be over at about 200 and some shows. Okay. Very good. So are you, do you have to do a little, you're moving to Aust down here, Australia, New Zealand. Do you do a little research to prepare for such a, you know, moving to various, see what's going on locally? What, oh, absolutely. Uh, yep. Just to be, just to be culturally respectful. Right. If I'm if I'm going to talk about a president or a prime minister, like what the hell? Shouldn't I get their name right? Yeah, and that's so always like, good. Like, yeah, things like that. Or if there's been some seismic event in a country, I don't want an audience member to be able to tell me about it and me have no idea what they're talking about. Gotcha. And so that that's how I pay respect to where I am. Uh, the one thing I never do is uh, in, uh, comment on any country's government. In that. It's not for me to tell a New Zealander what's up with their uh, or their elected officials. That's a little much for right. a foreigner. And uh, when people when people from outside of the U.S. do it to me, I understand it because the U.S. is a bit like a reality show, sure. Especially with a president before this one, 
<laughs> and so I expect it and I understand it, uh, but I will not do it gotcha. to any other country. And so by the time I get to New Zealand, if anything really insane has happened in the last 20 days, I'll be a- as conversant as one can be by reading BBC World News or whatever. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, to, to our, our prime minister before the one we have now, Jacinda, got into quite a bit of worldwide news and made a big splash and stuff. So, you know, and I thought see. she was really cool. I must say, I mean, it, 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 I think if you're going to say anything, you should be at least positive. She was and, cool. Uh, She's actually been up to my place and gone through my record collection. How cool oh, is wow. that? No, that's everybody really in New Zealand knows everybody. <laughs> no, I, it's like all, all eight of you turn the light off when you leave. Exactly. Um, no, I've just seen her on the news when, you know, like she says something and everyone's like, well, that's a bit much for, her. I'm like, no, I, I thought that was really cool. And so, you know, there I am making comment on an elected official in New Zealand. I, I would say that I would make comment on the on someone in another country, but only if it's laudatory. It's not for me to be critical. Right. But um, I, I think for such a young person uh, as a female, you know, she's going up against like one of the worst boys clubs uh, like yep. ever created in the Western world. And I thought she what I've seen, she carried herself really really well she's damn impressive i think uh, she and she she took some heat from idiots here if i may say in new zealand anti-vaxxers and you know misogynists and of both sexes who i mean she basically went out she uh, resigned because it, it was just no point in carrying on uh, she as she had no more ta- gas in the tank she said but it was it was more than that you know she was kind of there was just no place for it to go. Was it uh, her and uh, the president or prime minister? I, I forget the Scandinavian. Yeah, country. Norway or someplace. Yeah. And they did that press conference. And one of the questions was, you know, hey, little lady. Yeah. And OK, that's the last thing I saw. And I watched it more than once. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm so sorry that yeah. you two are enduring this. But I thought both of them basically kick some ass. Yep. But, you know, to be an elected official, like in the executive office of a country and have some guy just be able to say that without any sense of respect, yep. it would have been I, I'm I don't have that strength. I, I would not have been able to re- retain my composure the way. Yeah, she did, I hear you. Or the way <laughs> they did. Yeah. Now, you seem to have um, some kind of ongoing relationship with Australia. You know, I, I see you just did a film with Sia, uh, who's Australian. Uh, yep. that musician and apparently director these days. And you, you do a podcast and you're on Rolling Stone Australia. So what what's your relationship with that country, with our neighbors? Well, to the uh, I've been going to that part of the world uh, for many, many years. Uh, the yeah. reason I've been to Australia like 40 sometimes and New Zealand like 15 or 20 times is just it took a long time for me to get enough of a fan base in New Zealand for a promoter to let me land and do a show. Yep. And even with that, I mean, I'm one of those people, I'll do a show in a living room. I, I just want to perform. Like, I'm, I'm a pretty generic performer type. We'll pay to play. And so uh, for many, many years, like they said, well, you can do New Zealand, but you're going to lose 2000 bucks. Right. Like, and I, you know, I, I'm not exactly uh, turning down, turning up a lot of money at my show, so I can't really afford to do that. But then sure. over the years, it became, hey, at least you can break even. That I'll take. Right. And so that's what got me to to New Zealand. And then it said, and now it's like, okay, 
you, you're not going to make much money, but you won't get skinned alive. Hey, it's a show. <laughs> we'll take it. And we're Australia on the first show, the first time there, it was just like, I clicked with that country and it just went from strength to strength from clubs to the, uh, symphony, uh, you know, the, the, the Sydney opera house, right? Like multiple nights, literally. And New Zealand was slower and that's not a, a take on the people there. It's just that, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm surprised I get a gig anywhere. And so I would have come to New Zealand Every time I went to Australia, is just like this could not generate the interest. And even yep. now, it, it's a very s- small audience. But hey, I'll take it. I'm grateful. Right, right. So, do you find that people react to you and respond to you differently in in different parts of the world uh, in general? Uh, not not drastically. Uh, maybe culturally, in that Australians and, and New Zealanders are a loud joyful audience you hit them with something funny they'll they'll let you know right or if or if you say something like they don't like they'll let you know right in germany you can be firing on all cylinders and they'll sit quietly really a few a few strained smiles right. and uh you think oh no i'm bombing uh, and then after the end of the show, standing ovation. And after the show, that was, the, I've seen you 15 times. And that was my favorite time. Well, where were you while I was on stage? Well, I was being quiet, so I didn't interrupt you. Oh, and, and so sometimes continental European audiences can be very quiet. And it's very tempting to go like, is there anybody out there? Is this yeah. thing on? And, and <laughs> Even when you say something funny, they'll kind of laugh into their hand. And then you get to England where it's just like laughter, you know, the, the roof, the roof is flapping. Yep. And so the material is basically the same. And but, you know, in some audiences, just more effervescent than others. It's not like you're going to say tomorrow's Thursday and in Austria, they're deeply offended. Um, and, and so the the differences are minimal. Uh, there, there's no place that's awful to be on stage. There's just some places where maybe English isn't spoken as much. Like I just did my first ever show in Estonia. Oh right, yep. And it was it was amazing. It was like a, a PA. You know, Stalin in, in, installed the PA a while ago. And of course uh, he did. <laughs> I'm just glad the plaster didn't come out of the ceiling. Um, <laughs> the audience was like hanging in there with English, uh, and but they were really cool. Yeah. Uh, but you could tell English is spoken, but not like it's spoken in other countries. Right. And so that will be the difference between a show in Poland. And a show in Berlin, Germany. Gotcha. So, so to get back to the content of what you're going to talk about, I'm kind of curious uh, as to what, how you feel about what's going on in the states, especially politically and socially these days. Uh, it, it, it's been a long. Uh, everything's changed since last time you were here. It feels like a whole different world out there. And yeah. of course, we all see it. The, I moved here from upstate New York, and when I moved here in '94, my I was extremely surprised at how the U.S. looked from outside of the U.S. Yeah, this is right when O.J. was racing down the street and blah blah blah. And watching it from here was bizarre to say the least. So, uh, you know, do you kind of keep that in mind? And what what are you bringing to us? And what are your thoughts about how things are going there? Well, 
Before I answer that, let me comment on what you just said before. Uh, I write every day. Literally, I write every day. Most of it's crap, but but I I, I do my best. Um, Some of my best observations of the United States are made when I'm outside of the United States. Uh, And so to get an extrospective, if you will, view of the country, when you like, you know, I'll, I'll watch MSNBC online and just or look at the headlines and just go, wow, and then go, yeah. wait a minute, I pay taxes in that place. Yep. But when you want, look at it from afar, you don't wonder why the rest of the world looks at the United States and just wonders what's in the water. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or maybe too much freedom is, a, is not necessarily a good thing without the intellectual and moral responsibility ingrained in people's brain pans. And, and so, yeah, being outside of the United States, looking in, cr- madhouse. And, you know, and, and honestly, it sounds crazy. There's no other place I'd rather live, but it is a Phillies flyer game from coast to coast. It's a rough room, as they say. Right. And so um, what I think is, and to be succinct, as far as the United States, you being a veteran of the place, America, in my opinion, since from its early days of genocide and, and stealing people to build the infrastructure to now, has been an equation. Uh, genocide plus slavery plus innovation plus war plus the stock market plus, 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 plus. So what does it equal? When do we stop adding and just say it is this? I think the equal sign hit the equation with Reagan. Mm-hmm. So what is it? It's what it was in the creative minds of the founding fathers. Five people got money and everyone else can pound the proverbial sand. Right. And and slavery, while it's not, it's illegal on the books. So we'll just call it minimum wage (laughs) because you can't call it slavery anymore. And so basically, Americans are now residing with all the chickens that have come home to roost. Yeah. And that's how a guy like Donald Trump can be elected. And how did he become... Uh, popular by making many appearances on Howard Stern, Larry King, and having a really awful reality show. Mm-hmm. A guy whose hair screams denial becomes the president of the United States. When I was a little kid and Nixon was around, no Republican would have voted for Donald Trump. Right. Even in Arkansas, Kentucky, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, Texas, yep. North Dakota, Utah, they would have gone, are you kidding me, man? He's yep. never even read the Constitution. And so those days, uh, I think we were just waking up and I think we're all present now. And what was said in back rooms is now said on, you know, in broad daylight and everything that used to live under rocks is now on Main Street. Yeah. And, and, and there you are and there it is. And that's the United States today. All is known and all is being shown. Yeah, it's pretty scary. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and are it's you? Going get, are, it's going to get scarier before it gets better. Well, I guess that's what I was going to ask you. Is there light at the end of the tunnel, or are you absolutely? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. You, you think? Uh, young, uh, yeah, young people. Yeah. I think a lot of what uh, uh, is making America so challenging is generational, and I, I've been telling audiences all over the world for the last two years that um, the, the the United States is basically waiting for people like me, Joe Biden, and Dick Cheney. Uh, to toddle off the coil and we'll all be dead by November. So there's, you know, nothing to fear. Just keep voting. Right. (laughs) So I I think a lot of people, you know, people of my age and older 
you know, I'm a, I'm a grown up in, in some respects in that I'm an adult and you can't change my mind on much mm-hmm. in that Iggy Pop is the undisputed heavyweight champion of rock and roll. That's my opinion. Like yep, there's yep. nothing you're going to say that's going to move me off that point. Uh, <laughs> I think global climate change is real. There's nothing you can show me that's going to move me off that point of view. And so if you're an, uh, an anti-vaxxer type, you're going to have to wait for me to die off because I'm never changing my opinion about a vaccine's a good thing for me. Yep. And so those who are homophobic or racist or, uh, you know, you will not replace us or whatever, um, they're not 19 years of age. I mean, there's a few. Uh, they're mostly my age or older, and we don't have long for this world. So I think before this century's over, you're going to see a radical demographic shift in the United States. And that's why the powers that be, there are a lot of things. Stupid is not one of them. They see this, and that's why uh, they gin up, you know, here come the immigrants. So everyone's going to take everything from you, white man. Yep. And that's why you're seeing like it's an insect in its last seconds where the legs kick violently up at the sky. Right. That's what you're seeing now because the white power structure knows that this the, the ground is shifting beneath their feet. And they're just trying to get a few more drops of honey out of the sponge before it goes dry. And so that's why there's all the voter suppression and all the well-financed hatred because they know it's coming to an end. Gotcha. All right. Now to switch gears a little bit, you're, the film that you were in with uh, was called Music. A couple of, and so was, to talk, was see you? Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen it. No, neither have I. <laughs> but anyway, what, where I was going was to talk about music. I know you've kind of retired from making music yourself. Uh, yeah. I was curious if there's any person or situation where you would reconsider that if you got the chance to work with so and so. You know, uh, I think, no. Uh, and I've been offered some uh, re- people I greatly admire have uh, said, hey, let's do a thing. Like amazing people, like a way, like the, they're, why they contacted me, I have no idea in that I would only slow them down. And I, right. said, no to, I, I said no to all of them. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Keith Levine, public right. image. Are, right. are you kidding me? He wrote me like, dude, let's do something. I'm like, uh, I'm done with music. And like, whoa, I mean, that guy is one of the best guitar players, I think. I mean, amazing. I only would have slowed him down. But I said, no, thanks. Yeah. I'm done. And when I'm done with something, I, I'm, I'm pretty done with it. Yeah. I think you said, you know, you just didn't have anything more to contribute. And of course, there are musicians around these days who are going and going and seemingly going forever. Are there any that you think should have taken the same approach to their career as you did and go, well, um, you really aren't uh, contributing? <laughs> well, I, I have a rule. If, if I'm going to say anything derogatory to any about anybody, unless it's an elected official, okay, um, they got to be in the room with. Oh, them. fair enough. Fair enough. And, yeah. and so I think there's some bands. I just don't think they make essential music anymore. Right. Because, uh, you know, and what screwed them up? Success. Yeah. You know, you know, Hemingway got a lot wrong. Like, you know, racism, misogyny. I mean, he was a real pig. But right. <laughs> uh, in his Nobel acceptance speech, he said success is often the death of, of the talent of the writer. Right. And um, co- money and comfort and success often leads to second guessing and a level of comfort where what got you to that success in the first place is now been replaced by a big car, 
in a really nice living environment. And I'm not saying success is bad. I'm just saying it's a really dangerous quantity and people should be really damn careful with it when it comes their way. Right. Have you tried, have you consciously avoided it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. How yeah, so? I, I, um, I dress and comport myself kind of sort of as I did 40 years ago. Right. Uh, you could take all the clothes on my body right now. It's about 15 bucks worth of clothes. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, I'm not trying to go, oh, I'm a man of the people. I'm a, I, I live alone in a very small and unremarkable house on purpose. Uh, the thing I like about this house is I don't have any neighbors. And so I get extra super left alone. Right. Um, I, I, punk rock instructs me that it's only the work that is essential. And so applause. I like that an audience likes me. I like them more than they like me. Don't tell anybody. Um, and I need them more than they'll ever need me. And so, but I don't think after I finish a show and people applaud that I'm like, Hey, I'm a big deal. I'm like, I got a show tomorrow night. So I got to get hydrated and get to sleep to repair my voice. And so I'm always trying to make a, something good, a good book, a good set of material. I've made a lot of money in my life and i've li i'd like to say i survived wealth okay. and I, I i live fathoms below my means and i and i'm very happy to report that a more affluent lifestyle has no appeal to me whatsoever believe it or not i i'm fine with my mazda 6 and uh heating up a can of something for dinner right um uh, and the occasional sushi is good but um <laughs> I, I could live a lot differently. I just, uh, it's not what I want to do with money. Right, right, right. So that sounds very punk rock. And so uh, I'm of a similar vintage to you. So uh, punk, you know, was a thing for me when I was like 20 years old. I was like, oh my God. So do you, what do you think punk got right? And what do you think the punk thing got wrong? I think punk got right. It cured rock and roll right. of eight of 20 minute drum solos. <laughs> uh, uh, and what did it get wrong? You know, I, it's hard to assign blame because, uh, you know, Chuck Dukowski, a black flag, a really smart guy, like a very astute cultural observer. And he never considered black flag to be punk rock. He right. said, you know, the, he said punk rock died because it stood still. And as soon as you can buy a pre-ripped T-shirt at a, at a <laughs> shopping mall, it's done. Yeah, right. And he said that by about 1982. Yep. He said when punk rock bands sing in harmony, and he put he pointed out one band which I dearly love. Um, uh, he said it, it's over. Yeah, a and um, I, I, he he said anything that stands still in the, at least in the United States for long enough just becomes commercialized. And Greg Ginn, another very astute social observer, he said the the revolution will be televised. Yeah, and and that's why there really won't be one right because it'll be, the revolution brought to you by bud light and you know <laughs> he said that in like 1981 right and i think it's one of the most astute and right on observations i've ever heard and so what did punk rock get wrong it it's really good and and that's not wrong it's just a fact and so the as far as like say there's a hundred things punk rock did it got 98 things right uh, the two one or two things that got wrong it set up value systems that were in a way arbitrary in that 
in North Dakota drinking, you got to drink or you can't be punk. In Washington, D.C., you can't be punk if you drink. Right. Like, <laughs> and Or like, hey, Henry, you can't be in a movie. That's not punk rock. Like, says who? Right. Like, bite me. And so... <laughs> And so all of those, like, he's a sellout. And, and like, you know, uh, maximum rock and roll in the 80s, Tim Yohannan. He just like, he was like this eternal witch hunter. Right. The Jello Biafra sold out. Really? There's not a day <laughs> of Jello's life he ever sold out. He's a good man. He fights the good fight. He's taken it on the chin for punk rock, for culture, for the First Amendment, more right. than I ever had to. He's yep. like Lenny Bruce, man. He stuck his neck out and like he paid the price. And so um, that's the inflexibility of some people, the the righteousness of like, you can't have any sex if you're punk rock. Like, hey, shut up, man. Uh, count me out. And, and so that's that kind of pilgrim inflexibility and that righteousness that was inflicted upon others. Hey, what are you doing at this show? Like, hey, man. Like I'm here because the quarterback and all the tough guys at school can't find me. Right. I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a I'm a freak. I was hoping I was in a room full of freaks. Yeah. And like, why are you telling me I'm the wrong kind of freak? Yeah. And I, I'm in my idea is a very open door policy. Like the little microscopic Washington D.C. punk rock scene I come from. You know, if you are gay, we welcome you. Right. If you're the kid who can't throw the ball straight, which is me. The, you know, the, the ADD kid, come on in, man. You know, as as uh, Bobby Bird of James Brown Band used to say, I know you got soul because if you didn't, you wouldn't be in here. Yeah. And that was every punk rock gig in D.C. As soon as you walked in, like the fact that you could find this place and, the, and you want to see the bad brains, you're in. <laughs> and the judgment stops. And so yeah. that's what bugged me about punk rock. But you know what? I don't see that anymore. Right. I see kind of a real avenging we don't play that come as you are and so um and i'm a big advocate for punk rock it's culturally it's it's the cultural change that i'm still recovering from and i hope i never get better yep I, i'm still in it and and uh, so i think it got right but it, it had some an emerging culture has some wobbles and i think the 80s with reagan and thatcher there was some eh, you know some eh, low blows <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So uh, you being what? How old are you? 64-ish or something like that? 62? Uh, I'm, I'm 28. Um, 28. Yeah, exactly. Do you listen to a two, lot of music I'm, these I'm days? Two, I'm two years older than you. Yeah. Um, You're younger I, than me, actually. <laughs> I, I, I buy about, I measure it by the inch. Yeah. I buy about between two and four to six inches of LPs. I'm talking about shelf space. Yeah. Um, a month. And between one and three seven inches, uh, inches of seven inches a month. Nice. So, and right now, um, I've got, and I'm not exaggerating, I've got about 10 feet of LPs I haven't played yet because I'm touring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And about two or three archival acid-free boxes of seven inches I haven't played yet because of touring. Yeah. It's going to drive you crazy. And, uh, well, you know, it's been two touring years, and I buy records almost every single day. Right. That sounds like an exaggeration. And yep. when I'm on tour, I just like I was just in Finland, and I love a lot of underground Finnish music. And a lot of the tiny labels know I play them on my radio show, and they right. like me, and I like them. Sure. So when, when I was in Finland, I don't know, three months ago, I was gifted 
with about a foot and a half of finished vinyl. And so my road <laughs> manager had to buy me two extra suitcases to drag it back. And I haven't played a single one of those records yet. And so I often go into a record store and it's the, the ones in the U.S. are pretty picked over, but you know, elsewhere. And if I, you know, I, I'm on a, like a seafood diet with vinyl. If I see it and I want it, I just get it. And uh, that's one restraint uh, I don't have any restraints on. I just, if I want the record, I just buy it. Right. So that's what I, I do allow myself that. Okay. And I'm, I'm an eBay warrior and I go to all <laughs> the auction houses and I'm, you know, fighting for that cramps poster or whatever. So yep. I, I am that proverbial guy. And so I listen to records all the time. Gotcha. On the road, it's, it's digital playback at home. I have multiple analog playback systems. Right. And so uh, I, I got to three pieces of vinyl last night. I'll get to a few uh, tonight. My interview schedule with our time differences is yeah. taking me late into the evening. Yeah. So it's going to cut down on my listening a bit. But hell yeah, I listen to vinyl as much as I can when I'm off the road. Right. Well, my, well I'm running out of Zoom time, but I'll get one more question in with you. Sure. The, I'll ask you the one everybody asks me that I hate. What What is your prized possession in your record collection? Um, it'll be a bit cloying and sentimental and you'll go oh because it's not nearly as valuable as some records i have yep um, that's not that doesn't count yep that's uh, fine the, the most valuable is a uh the second pressing of the first minor threat seven inch okay it, it, it was given to me by ian mckay my best friend right but it, belo it belonged to his mother right and I, I miss Ginger every day. I miss his mom. She was amazing. And Ian gave it to me one day. He said, I just want you to know that this was my mom's. I went, Ian, you're killing me, man. Like, it brought me to tears. And right. so if my place caught on fire, I'd be running out of the building with that. Yeah. Uh, even though I have Iggy Pop's high school acetate of his music with the iguanas. And so right. I have stuff like that. Yeah, yeah of course uh, you do. <laughs> but it's that record of Ian yeah. from Ian's mom that right. I'd be, and my alarm is telling me I, I have to stop talking to you. Uh, yeah. and, and so um, <laughs> that would be the one I would run out of the door with. Okay, sounds good. All right, well, thank you very much for all of that. We look forward to seeing you down here in, a, was it, January, July, uh, July, at the beginning of July, you're doing like about four dates throughout That's the right. country. Very cool. All right, have a great day. And okay. uh, again, thank you. Good, you got it, see ya. <laughs>